Welcome to the Caregiver Conversations podcast. My name is Antonia Harbin-Lamb, and I am the Program Manager at Great Lakes Legal Mediation Division. The purpose of this podcast is to provide information and resources for caregivers so that they can be more successful and effective caregivers. This podcast is being sponsored by the Prevent Initiative. The Prevent Initiative funds programs focused on elder abuse and neglect prevention. Today, we will be discussing liabilities and duties of caregivers, whether you are a professional caregiver or an informal caregiver, and some important information caregivers need to know about the guardianship process. Today, I'm happy to have with me a very special guest, my husband, Michael Lamb. Michael is a graduate of Western Michigan Cooley Law School. He is the principal attorney at Lamb Legal and Consulting Services. His practice focuses on areas of criminal defense, appellate, landlord-tenant, guardianship and conservatorship, and other areas of general civil legal issues. He passionately represents his clients' interests, working diligently to analyze case merits, minimize risk, and propel positive resolutions. He is a member of the State Bar of Michigan and the Federal Bar. He is also a board member of the Straker Bar and a member of Oakland County Bar Association, Wayne County Defense Bar Association, and the Criminal Defense Association of Michigan. Thank you for joining me today, Michael. Thank you for having me, Antonia, Ms. Harbin. I don't know really what to call you, but thank you for having me. It's my pleasure to be here. So we will start with professional caregivers. What are some things that professional caregivers need to think about before they enter into a contract or even enter in a new position as a caregiver? Do you have any tips on what they should be thinking about? As it relates to what caregivers should be considering when entering new employment opportunities, first and foremost, I would say that they certainly need to read any documentation that a potential employer gives them, especially those documents that require their signature. Know and understand that uh, when employers present you with those documents, they are assuming that you're going to read those. And if you sign those documents, you are kind of bound by what's in those documents. and you might be giving up certain kinds of rights and things of that nature if you blindly sign those documents. Again, I would just state that they need to read those documents. And really, my advice would be to take those documents from the employer and have an attorney review those documents with you so that you can know exactly what's in those documents. That attorney might also be able to help you negotiate certain things as it relates to what's in those documents. So those are the two key pieces of advice that I would give. Okay, great, Michael. What about in terms of things that they need to think about with liability? Is there anything that they should be thinking about, you know, in terms of their duties and responsibilities? Well, you said it, you know, when you take on the responsibility of giving care to some individual, you do have certain duties and responsibilities, and the law will hold you accountable to those duties and responsibilities. Your employer will hold you accountable to those duties and responsibilities. 
So again, I say it is important that you read and understand the documents that are presented to you and those documents that you sign. Also, when and if you do accept employment and you are, in fact, given charge of individual's care, you need to know exactly what the care plan is for that individual. You need to make sure that you have all of the equipment necessary to carry out that plan, right? Because Again, as the caregiver, you are responsible for doing what is necessary to provide the necessary and appropriate care for that individual. And the fact of the matter is, is that while I've seen, you know, some employers can get forgetful when it comes to being held accountable in the eyes of the law, you know, the corporation will kind of absolve themselves and say, hey, you know, this individual read these documents, they knew what was supposed to happen. And it can be kind of a tricky situation. Okay, that's great information for our professional caregivers. Now, what about informal caregivers? And when we speak about informal caregivers, we're talking about those family members or, you know, those people that might not be paid to care for someone. What do we need to think about for caregivers in terms of their liability? So as it relates to informal caregivers, I would just advise them that they have the same duties and responsibilities as formal caregivers. I would encourage any informal caregiver trying to acquire the necessary training that they need to care for that individual. They probably need to seek out certain expertise and professionals. I would advise them not to try and do it themselves. Okay. Yeah, that sounds like great information so that they are able to get the necessary resources so they can be really effective. So let's switch gears a little bit just to a different topic. At the Elder Law and Advocacy Center where I work, we always try to encourage the older adults to make sure they have their power of attorneys in effect. If they don't have that, they should do it right away um, just in case something happens and they become incapacitated and not able to handle their affairs. Sometimes people don't move forward with that and they don't get those documents completed. And that's where guardianships and conservatorships may come into play and become necessary. Can you give us some information about the guardianship and conservatorship process, just an overview of how that works? A guardianship or conservatorship is first filed in the probate court of whatever county the individual might live in. And the courts are pretty basic, if you will. They are typically scale forms. You can find those forms online. And it's a matter of uh, filling those forms out. There's usually a fee associated with filing those petitions. Yes, I believe it's $175 for each. It is $175 for each. It might vary depending upon the county. Mm -hmm. It requires that you serve certain individuals, certain interested persons. And uh, typically after you file those documents, the necessary documents with the court, after you pay the necessary fee, they'll set the matter for a motion hearing to determine whether the requested petition should be granted be it a guardianship or a conservatorship. Can you tell us what a conservatorship is? So a conservatorship is the individual who is basically responsible for allocating a person's funds. For me to explain uh, what a conservatorship is, is I would first have to 
kind of go back to guardianships. And again, a guardianship is for those individuals who are incapable of caring for themselves for whatever reason or incapable of making decisions for themselves, be it based on some kind of developmental disability, be it whether they're a minor or if they are incapacitated based on a whole lot of different factors. But those individuals typically would require a conservator or somebody to look over their personal assets. A conservator is the individual who is responsible for looking over an individual's assets when they can't do it themselves. They can distribute assets for the uh, support and care of the individual. Okay. Thank you for that clarification. Sometimes, you know, people think that they're one and the same or, you know, they're not really sure what the difference is between guardianship and conservatorship. Is there anything that you would recommend for caregivers any duties as they may be facing guardianship or conservatorship for a parent or a loved one? Anything that you could recommend in terms of things they need to think about going into the process? So there are certain forms, and I wish I had the form numbers to provide the audience at this time, but there are certain forms. Uh, they're called SCALE forms. Supreme Court Administrative Order forms, that's the SCALE acronym, but those uh, forms can be found online. But some of those forms talk about exactly what the duties of a conservator and a guardian are. So I would certainly suggest that those individuals go to those forms and, and get an understanding of what their duties and responsibilities are. I know the Oakland County uh, Probate Court has some handouts uh, that are available and other courts have handouts that are available that communicate what the duties and responsibilities are. I guess my biggest piece of advice is to, again, educate yourself so that you know exactly what is going to be required of you. As a guardian and a conservator, there are certain reporting requirements. There are, you know, filing requirements that you are responsible for. So you need to know those before signing up to. So, again, you can make sure that you are capable of fulfilling those responsibilities because when you take on those responsibilities, again, you've created a relationship, you have certain kinds of duties, and uh, you don't want to breach those duties and responsibilities as it relates to your loved ones. Now, Michael, I know that you work as a guardian at Lightum. You take on that role sometimes. Can you tell us a little bit about what a guardian at Lightum does and how they assist in the guardianship and conservatorship process? At any time in certain probate proceedings, the judge can uh, appoint a guardian ad litem. The guardian ad litem's role is to be one of an investigator and kind of the eyes and ears of the court. When you start talking about some of these probate proceedings, uh, conservatorship proceedings, guardianship proceedings, sometimes they can be contested, right? That means that, you know, there are different sides, people vying, and there are different opinions of, of what should happen concerning the interested individual. The guardian ad litem is appointed to by the court to kind of do a, an investigation and make a recommendation to the court concerning what they think might be in the ward's best interest. So we're kind of an impartial recommender, if you will, as it relates to what's in the best interest of the individual. Okay, thank you for that clarification too. I know sometimes people think that when a guardian ad litem is involved, that that's their personal attorney, that that's someone that's going to represent them. But it's good to know that 
what you're saying is a guardian ad litem is actually the eyes and ears of the court. They actually work on their behalf. And in some instances, you know, the guardian ad litem might make a recommendation that the individual might not agree with because, again, they are charged with doing what they think is in the best interest of that individual and and making that recommendation to the court. Okay. Where can caregivers find out more information about the guardianship and conservatorship process or liability in those areas from you? Well, certainly you can always contact me. My telephone number is 248-281-3344. So again, thank you for joining us, Michael. This is Antonia Harbin-Lamb. Thank you for listening. For more information about our mediation program and more podcasts, please call 313-937-8282 or find us on Facebook at Great Lakes Legal Mediation Division. It's where families coming apart come together.